There we go. All right. Good morning. I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad I'm here today. I uh, want to uh, just, in thinking about uh, what uh, Sharon led us through in the meditation and then what Brian just said about looking around and seeing the people, uh, my daughter gifted me for my birthday uh, last week. One of the things that we do together is go see uh, shows like off-Broadway stuff that comes through uh, the city. And so there's a tour that's going on of one of my favorite shows called Into the Woods, uh, which is fantastic. And uh, it's like the best of the best, you know, touring around the country. It was perfection. It's amazing. Uh, before the show, though, uh, Lake and I were hanging out in, in the lobby just talking, and this gal passes by, and I'm like, that's, that's an, I know who that is. And it was Jenny Velo. Uh, who was uh, a friend of mine from 18 years ago when I was uh, privileged to be a part of a show here in town, South Pacific, where I played a Frenchman with a terrible French accent <laughs> and terrible dancing skills. Uh, and Jenny was one of my, <laughs> one of my Nellies um, who was playing opposite me. And so there she was, and I haven't seen her in so many years. And so uh, my daughter, who uh, knows to make sure my memory is accurate, said, are you sure? <laughs> so, so I looked on Facebook, and sure enough, it was Jenny. So we had this conversation. She was there with a friend, and, uh, and so she was introducing me and all this. And so he's a pastor of the, the church Crosswalk. And she went on to describe Crosswalk. And I, what I am so used to hearing is one of two things, which is, Oh, you know, that's, that's the evacuation shelter. So when there's a crisis, that's where people go for evacuation. It's totally cool with that. That's totally right, which is wonderful. Or it's, that's where all the recovery groups are, you know, because that's, that's also great, you know. But she didn't say that. She said, that's the church with all the pride signs around. And her friend was like, I just love that. It just makes me feel so hopeful uh, in the world. And so I just want to say to you, um, even people that may not darken the door of our church, uh, we, we are a beacon of hope, uh, that there is a more graceful God, that there is an inclusivity that is real, uh, that that love that we talk about really is that big, that really does include absolutely everyone, and that's you. So thank you for being an incredible people. That's awesome. Yeah, that's clapworthy. So today I want to talk about commencement address. Uh, we just finished the series, The Heart of Christianity, which we've done here before, and this time I think we had more participation maybe than any other time I've done it. I think this is the fourth or fifth time uh, I've taught it. And I think we had around 30 people coming uh, in the midweek between the morning or the afternoon and the evening session and just robust discussion on you know really important theological ideas and thinking and deconstructing some thoughts that we're ready to let go of and reconstructing with some new ideas and still wondering what's next and all that. And so, and because I did it as a teaching series, you all did it. So this is commencement uh, for you and you're ready to go into the world, you know, and be people with a new or renewed theology and you're honed and you're ready and all that. And this is the time of year when we have lots of commencement addresses. Have any of you been to a graduation ceremony uh, this Season, right? Yep, some of you, right? And some of you have probably heard some good commencement addresses, I'm sure. Yep. Any of you hear some real losers? All right, thank you, Dar. Very good. <laughs> and we have graduations for all kinds of things. We have, of course, high school graduation. Uh, we, have, uh, we have college graduation. Uh, and uh, we can celebrate uh, one of our littler crosswalkers, Michaela. Uh, Michaela Pruch had her preschool graduation uh, this past week, <laughs> so we even celebrate that. Oh, she's the Elsa. I wondered. I had a feeling that she was probably Elsa. Right. 
So uh, where we're going to come into uh, the text today, which is a very peculiar text in Matthew's Gospel, uh, we're seeing a bit of a commencement address. It's a go-forth kind of address, apparently right out of the mouth of Jesus. And I was thinking about that, like what would we expect from a commencement address? And they're almost always positive, right? Uh, they're, they're super positive. They're like, you did this. You, you made it through this journey so far, and you survived it. And they're telling funny stories about, you know, cafeteria problems or locker problems or boyfriend, girlfriend, pro- all these different things. But you made it, and you passed, and this, this fine faculty has signed off on you, which is their endorsement that you're going to be fine going out in the world. And everything is positive. They might read uh, Dr. Seuss's Oh, the Places You'll Go, or at least sell lots of those books, you know, uh, for people to read and be encouraged and all this stuff. Uh, you never hear, really, uh, people be particularly uh, negative. Uh, there was one guy, that, however, uh, that I came across uh, recently, Patton Oswalt, who is a comedian. He's been on a lot of TV shows and theater stuff. Uh, he was uh, giving a commencement address uh, somewhere, and he says, I have three words for you. You poor bastards. <laughs> and he was, you know, tongue-in-cheek, but he was kind of uh, in a humorous way talking about, oh, you're entering in a world in an incredibly chaotic time where there's, you know, unprecedented maybe a division in the world, and oh, man, this is the time you decide to graduate. And I remember uh, back to when the Great Recession hit, right about that time that, uh, well, a few years after I was in that show many years ago, and these... Uh, young women that I was in the show with, they're graduating from college and they're graduating right into the Great Recession from 2009. And they're graduating into uh, an economy which is awful, which is difficult to find a job. Uh, The dream of going out on your own, you know, had to be paused for a while. And at that time, we saw a great migration of young adults moving back in uh, with with their families. It was you know, pain and suffering for many of those parents, <laughs> seeing them come back, you know, perhaps. Uh, but most commencement addresses are super positive because they should be. This is the beginning. This is the launch. And you don't want to say anything negative as they're heading out. That would be almost rude. And we, we do this for other things, too. You know, when June is a time where a lot of people get married. And I've done many, 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 many weddings uh, over my uh, career. And, you know... It's always positive. It's always like, you guys love each other. You got this. The world's going to be your oyster. It's going to be wonderful, better roses forever. You never talk about reality, (laughs) right? You never say, oh, there are going to be some days you just want to kill each other, but you can't because you're married and you might go to jail and that's going to be problematic. And and you go, all these little annoying things that each of you do that kind of pile up over time and you have to deal with those things. And nobody talks about that stuff. Uh, we, nobody talks about, you know, normal everyday kind of issues, which are normal and everyday. Why don't we, why don't we do that at wedding ceremonies unless they're a part of a joke? It's because that's not the time and the place to do that. You want to be positive as they're going out. You want them to actually enjoy the day, not dread the day, right? Uh, for the rest of the day. You want them to celebrate this wonderful thing, this union that they're going forth into the world uh, with. You don't want to be a Debbie Downer at that point. So I was curious when we looked at uh, this passage, uh, what are we going to see? And we'll come back to some, some realities about what we say at different stages in life. In fact, just think about this for a moment. So we know that at those beginning stages when we're talking to people, when we're sending cards and we're wishing them well, 
we purposefully stay on the positive, right? Because that's the appropriate thing to do. If we were to go, say, a decade or two uh, into those ventures, being at beyond high school graduation or into marriage or whatever, and we ask them, what's it really like, you know, being 10 years into this thing? Uh, probably they're still going to hopefully say some wonderful rosy things, but they're also going to be peppering it with some, yeah, it's, it has not been easy. Uh, I, thought, I thought I was going to go into a job market. The job market wasn't there. Uh, it wasn't as successful as I thought. I thought, you know, I heard the world was going to be my oyster and it was still a piece of sand and I'm not quite sure, you know, what's going to happen and I feel insecure and, uh, or if it's the marriage, of, hey, how'd it go, you know, uh, since your wedding day, I haven't seen you for 15 years or whatever. Well, it's, it's good, it's good, but, well, you know, we've had our bumps and it's been kind of tough here and there and, you know, you get a dose of reality when people are 15 and 20 years down the road beyond that time when they were launched, when they heard that everything was positive. You know what I'm saying? And I think you experience this, that you think about your life differently when you're down the road more. The dream may not have been what you thought was going to happen. But then an interesting thing happens, maybe not all the time, but I've seen it a lot of the time to say that I think it's a thing, that when you meet somebody who is well into their senior years, you know, 61, 62, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> uh, all right, maybe 70s and 80s, people with uh, a perspective. Uh, you know, they say that early retirement, the 60s are the go-go years. You know, get out there and do it while you've got your health. And the 70s are the slow-go years because you've got to slow down a little bit. You can't go quite as fast. And the 80s and 90s are the no-go years. <laughs> well, I'm talking about the no-goes, right, uh, who are looking back, you know, in retrospect. And my experience with the people, and I, because I'm a pastor, I deal with lots of people of lots of, all generations, and I do a lot of funerals, just like I do a lot of weddings, and I hear people uh, talk about end-of-life kind of issues, and I hear lots of people speaking about how, you know, they're actually optimistic, that they started off with great hopes, that there was a period of suck somewhere in the middle, but they got through it. And they're sort of at this space of peace toward the end. And sort of like they, they see over the long haul that it wasn't perfect. It, it had its bumps in the road, but it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And they're speaking out of this okayness from their long experienced gaining of wisdom. We say things to different people, and what we say to people reflects where we've been already. You with me? At the beginning, we're soft. In the middle, we're raw. And at the end, we're wise and hopefully hopeful. So keep these things in mind. When you hear what apparently is what Jesus had to say when he launched his his disciples to go into the world with him to, to carry out the stuff that he was doing. This is the first time this has happened in, in Matthew's gospel. Lots of stuff's happened in Jesus' life. 
Uh, he is, he's given the, the Sermon on the Mount, which was awesome. He did the whole baptism thing and that whole scene there. Uh, things were going amazing. He's healing people. He's going across boundaries already. He healed the servant of a Roman soldier, which that's nuts. Why would you do that? Uh, he's already messing with people he shouldn't be messing with. He's, he's blurring the lines, so he's already a renegade, but he's entirely successful. Everything is going absolutely perfectly Whatever he's doing, it's going wonderfully well. And so when he commissions his disciples, you can hear, you're going to imagine that the only thing that he's going to say to them is you should just absolutely expect to continue in my footsteps of great success. So when you go into the highways and byways with me into the region of Galilee and, and tell them the good news that God is really loving them and that's never going to change and they can count on it, build their lives on it, and bring healing in different ways and help people in so many ways, you can just expect it to be wonderful. But that's not what we see in the text. It's very curious. I'm just going to read Jesus' commencement address and see what you see. So Jesus called, the 12, called 12 of his followers and sent them into the ripe fields. He gave them power to kick out the evil spirits and to tenderly care for the bruised and hurt lives. This is the list of the 12 that he sent. Simon, they called Peter, or the rock. Andrew, his brother. James, uh, Zebedee's son. John, his brother. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax man, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, Judas Iscariot, who later turned on him. Jesus sent this, his 12 harvest hands out with this charge. Don't begin by traveling to some far-off place to convert unbelievers, and don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick, raise the dead, touch the untouchables, kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. Don't think you have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. And all you need to keep that is going, all you need to keep that going is three meals a day. Travel light. When you enter a town or a village, don't insist on staying in a luxury inn. Get a modest place with some modest people and be content there until you leave. When you knock on a door, be courteous in your greeting. If they welcome you, be gentle in your conversation. If they don't welcome you, quietly withdraw. Don't make a scene. Shrug your shoulders and be on your way. You can be sure that on judgment day, they'll be mighty sorry. Well, that's neat. They'll be mighty sorry, but it's no concern of yours now. <laughs> okay, thanks. Uh, Jesus goes on, stay alert. This is hazardous work I'm assigning you to. So it's turning a little bit here. You're going to be like sheep running through a wolf pack. So don't call attention to yourselves. Be as shrewd as a snake, inoffensive as a dove. Graduates, don't be naive. Some people will question your motives. Others will smear your reputation <laughs> just, because they, just because you believe in me. Don't be upset when they haul you before the civil authorities. Without knowing it, they've done you and me a favor, giving you a platform for, for preaching the kingdom news. And don't worry about what you'll say or how you'll say it. The right words will be there. The spirit of your father will supply the words when you are arrested in front of the judge for following me. Happy graduation. When people realize it is the living God you are presenting and not some idol that makes them feel good, they are going to turn on you, graduates, even people in your own family. There is a great irony here, proclaiming so much love, experiencing so much hate. Thank you for that dramatic Exclamation point. That's <laughs> perfect. Yes. I'm shocked too. Proclaiming so much, you have the, experiencing so much hate. But don't quit. Don't cave in. 
It is all well worth it in the end. It is not success you are after in such times, but survival. <laughs> Be survivors. Before you've run out of options, the Son of Man will have arrived. A student doesn't get a better desk than her teacher. A laborer doesn't make more money than his boss. Be content, pleased even, when you, my students, my harvest hands, get the same treatment I get. If they call me the master, dung face. <laughs> well, that's a new one. I hadn't, uh, hadn't really realized that that was one of our words to say to Jesus in a worship song. Maybe Brian could turn that into a song. Dear Jesus, dung face, well, thank you for being, well, anyway, that's awful. They, he's saying, if they call me dung, the master, dung face, what can the workers expect? Don't be intimidated. Eventually, everything is going to be out in the open, and everyone will know how things really are. So don't hesitate to go public now. Don't be bluffed into silence by the threats of bullies, meaning there are going to be threats of bullies. There's nothing they can do to your soul, your core being. Save your fear for God, who holds your entire life, body and soul, in his hands. What's the price of a pet canary? Some loose change, right? And God cares what happens to it even more than you do. He pays even greater attention to you down to the last detail, even numbering the hairs on your head. So don't be intimidated by all this bully talk. You're worth more than a million canaries. Stand up for me against world opinion, and I'll stand up before you, uh, for you before my Father in heaven. If you turn tail and run, do you think I'll cover for you? Hmm. Don't think I've come to make life cozy. I've come to cut, make a sharp knife cut between son and father, daughter and mother, bride and mother-in-law. Cut through these cozy domestic arrangements and free you for God. Yikes. Well-meaning family members can be your worst enemies. If you prefer father or mother over me, you don't deserve me. If you prefer son or daughter over me, you don't deserve me. What happened to nice Jesus? This is rough. <sighs> Finally, he says, if you don't go all the way with me through thick and thin, you don't deserve me. If your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. But if you forget about yourself and look to me, you'll find both yourself and me. So go out and get them, graduates. God bless you. Go be Jesus. Have a great day. Grab a donut on your way out. It's been good. It's all going to go terrific now, right? <laughs> how in the world do we get this? And how is Jesus so dense that for this commencement address, a pep talk, you know, for the guys to go out and help them with the job, I mean, are any of them left at this point? Who would want to go out after that pep talk? It's like, um, if I was Peter, I was be like, I think I still have my boat up on the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> I'm going to just go back to fishing because that does not sound good at all. I, I don't think I've heard this kind of talk from Jesus yet. And if he's, what he's saying is true, man, I'm just, really, I, I didn't know that's what I was signing up for. This doesn't make any sense, does it? It seems like it's not Jesus talking. It doesn't seem like the Jesus that we know. And I want to suggest to you that that might be because it's not. <laughs> we need to ask a question. When we look at this gospel and what its purpose was, 
for Matthew, who is attributed with this gospel. Really, it was a Matthean community. These were people who were, who were gathering together as community in a particular area, uh, borrowing from when they were creating their, um, their gospel, their remembrance of Jesus. They're borrowing heavily from the gospel of Mark, which was the first gospel, and Matt, the Matthean community and the Lucan community both borrowed from Mark, and they also uh, tapped a, a source called Q, Q, uh, which sounds really cool, but it actually comes from the German word Kell, and that word just means source in German. And so this Q source, which we really don't know a lot about, but we know it was a thing that they shared uh, because they both have similar stories. That's why when you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they seem very, very similar in a lot of the parts, and different in some. And where they're different from each other, they had other sources that they're bringing in. This uh, compilation of stories and remembrances finally came to pass, finally came to be, somewhere around 85 common era, which is 50-ish years after Jesus' life and death and ministry. Five decades later. It doesn't mean that, you know, they started making up stuff in 84 common era and put it all down and got it published by 85. These stories were circulating and all that. But when Matthew's community and Matthew is putting this final thing together, he's making some assumptions. And one of the assumptions is, is that everybody who's going to hear this gospel, everybody who's going to get a chance to read it perhaps or hear it read to them in a community of faith, they already know the story of Jesus. This is not going to introduce most of them to the story of Jesus. They've already heard it. That's why they're in community together as the people of Jesus. So the Matthew, I'll just call him, call him Matthew as the writer. Matthew wants to say some things in this gospel that are going to be helpful for the disciples who actually are living it and reading it when they hear it. And so, which was totally normal and okay in the first century in the Jewish tradition, uh, when they put words in Jesus' mouth, some of them may have been absolutely verbatim, but some of them they may have embellished to say something to the people who they were writing to and to the future people who would read this gospel to come. We need to ask the question, sorry about the black print, that's one slide I forgot to connect uh, today. Uh, but my question then is when was his speech written? And here's what I think. I think Jesus had a normal graduation commencement speech for his disciples before they went out. They were feeling a little awkward. It's still kind of new in the game. And I think Jesus said, hey, guys, I chose you. And if I'm sending you out, it's because I have confidence that you can actually do the things that I was telling you you could do. So go with that. Because I wouldn't send you out there if you were going to fall flat on your face. That's not, that's not who I am. It's not what I'm about. So go get them. Just try this on. You know, figure this out. It's jazz. You'll figure it out. Just trust the Spirit of God working with you. It's going to be fine. The reason I'm confident of that is because he did that, according to another gospel, and they actually went out, and things went wonderful. And they came back just on cloud nine. It's like, hey, all the cool stuff happened, like you said. This was awesome. And Jesus said some words that, you know, after that, saying, well, hey, don't get a big head. You know, you're, you're working for God here. God is the flow and everything, and you want to be a part of that. Uh, but, hey, I'm so, I'm so glad you had success. That's the commencement address we would expect. But a lot happened in those 50 years even immediately after Jesus was gone uh, people began experiencing uh, the resurrected Christ which is mysterious but what these disciples experienced was something post-grave 
that they identified as this is the same voice we've been hearing for the last three years. So they had confidence that following this Jesus was not a waste of time, but actually that this Jesus was speaking truth. And they needed to go out and continue getting this word out. But it led them to danger really fast. I'll talk more about this next week because we'll look at who's who, you know, and this community of faith and the disciples, which is quite fascinating and important for our country as we celebrate our anniversary of independence. I'll get to that next week. But what I can tell you is uh, just as Jesus ran into problems with the religious leadership, both the Pharisees and Sadducees alike, the disciples ran into that uh, as well, did get in trouble. It wasn't easy. They did get flogged. They did get brought before uh, the courts. Uh, and that, if that wasn't bad enough, some of the moves that they made, like Peter uh, had this uh, one interesting experience with a guy named Cornelius who was a Roman officer. And the Spirit of God clearly uh, informed Peter through a weird vision to go with this guy, this guy's servants, to go to Cornelius' house. So he goes and he preaches the gospel, the, the good news, all the things he knew to preach. He didn't even want to be there, didn't want to be there at all. He even starts a sermon saying there, I don't really want to be here. I don't really like you people. I think you're losers. I don't think God really wants anything to do with you, but I feel like I'm supposed to be here. So here's the thing, God loves you. And in the middle of his terrible sermon, uh, the Holy Spirit does something in that midst, and people are experiencing the more of God. And they're recognizing that what Peter is saying is true. The love of God is real, and it's powerful, and it's present, and it's going to change everything. Peter sees this, and he's like, well, shoot. If God has done this thing already with them, then what's to keep us from welcoming them into the, the community? So he, he allows them to be baptized right then and there. And you would think that the church, upon hearing this, I mean, every time we welcome new members into the church, we're, we're elated. It's wonderful. Every time we have baptism here, it's a celebration. People clap and cheer. It's, it's, it's cool. It's great. But when Peter brought news back to the larger community of faith, it was not great. <laughs> he was grilled. What do you think you're doing? These are Gentile people. They're from the enemy camp. Why did you even go there? And to baptize them? To make them equals among us? What were you thinking? This is the early Christian community eating its own for lunch. And it didn't stop there. The Apostle Paul came on board 10, 15 years after Jesus' ministry. He's a guy who just, <laughs> he, he never even met the physical Jesus. He just experienced this more of Christ, resurrected, and went forward with that. And man, he, he experienced it, man. I mean, he was imprisoned, uh, beaten. He was, yeah, was shipwrecked because of his following Jesus. Uh, most of the disciples uh, were, were martyred, you know, by the end of their life. Uh, when Nero was uh, emperor of Rome, he hated Christians, hated them, mowed them down like, like ants at a picnic. I mean, just, uh, just terrible, terrible stuff happened to the early believers. And so could it be that when Matthew is putting together his gospel, when he's giving uh, words for Jesus who are speaking to his original disciples, but Matthew is thinking to himself, nah, this, is, this has got to be bigger than that because this is going to be a lot of new potential disciples hearing this, some of whom have already been through it, and some need to know 
what may lie ahead. Matthew crafts this, honoring as best he can, Jesus as best as he can, but also working in some of his own theology, some of his own worldview about things. This is how the Bible and how the Gospels were crafted. They did not drop down out of the sky. God did not have a direct line to whoever had the scroll, you know, and penciled down, this is exactly how I want to do it. Not, not God directing the quill, you know, uh, to write things down. That's not how it was crafted. These were done by faithful people in community with a purpose for the good of those who would hear it. And these people who were going to hear it, after they heard it, wondering, do I want to be a disciple of Jesus? I wonder if some of them who may be like you and me were saying to themselves, boy, I don't know. I don't know. This doesn't sound great. I was kind of expecting to be sold, but instead, I'm, he's kind of taken me away from this. Maybe we're not going to be disciples. Maybe, as Barbara Brown Taylor uh, once said, maybe the best we can do is be friends of disciples who occasionally get it right, but then struggle sometimes, and then occasionally get it right again and then struggle sometimes. I think, I think that's probably what we're more likely to be. I was reading a commentary on this this week, and one of the things that the commentator said is, you know, in our Western world, we hear this stuff, and it's just like, what? That's not my experience. Uh, I don't think my life is in danger. I don't think I'm going to be taken before the courts because I, I've said that I'm a Jesus follower. That doesn't make any sense. Well, that's true in the Western world. For the most part, we have freedoms that protect us. But to this day, in some parts of the world, this is extremely real. Uh, extremely real. As these followers of Jesus speak to power in their places, that power punches back, sometimes lethally. This is very real stuff. Perhaps it is very difficult for us to be 100% full disciples all the time, whereas maybe people in other parts of the world, they don't really have the luxury of such a choice. They're either in or they're out. We see phrases in here that, that confuse us a little bit, like, do I really have to love God more than my own parents or more than my own children or my wife or whatever? And I think what we need to see here is a question uh, that Jesus is raising to his disciples, and that is, what is your number one? What is your guiding true north in your life? That's the important question. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden, once you say yes to Jesus, you, you start hating your children and, and your family and you're cut off. There are some uh, cult-like uh, factions within Christianity that actually tell you to do that. I'm aware of one right now uh, that is affecting a friend of mine. Uh, you know, that's a cult kind of a Christianity uh, uh, somewhere around Phoenix. And they literally told this kid, uh, if, if you're around people who don't sign off on our belief statement, that means they're wrong. <laughs> and so you must cut off contact uh, with them, including his own parents and his aunts and his uncles and his cousins and friends. It's awful. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. What he is saying is, you know, you're going to have a choice on how you're going to lead your life and who's going to help guide your life and who you're going to listen to most. And what Jesus is saying and what he evidenced in his own life, what he modeled and what he taught was trust the true north of God. Trust the spirit of God who is always loving, always oriented towards shalom, not just for inner peace for the individual, but for everybody. Trust that. 
Sometimes it's going to get you into trouble. Sometimes it's going to take great courage because you're going to have to be the one to hang the pride flag when everybody around you is saying, I don't even know if that's okay. Should Christians even say such a thing? Are you part of that church? Or maybe you stand up in a community that uh, is so white it doesn't know that it struggles with racism at all. And then you start bringing a mirror and saying, well, what about these policies? And why is it that we're seeing so few numbers you know, uh, succeed compared to, to the white majority in this thing? And when you start to speak up about these things, just the very mention of them, you begin to realize quickly that there is a price to pay for doing the work of Jesus. And it can be very, very painful. But we do it anyway because it's tied to the truth of the person of Jesus who is tied to the person of God, the Spirit flowing through the whole thing. That is life. That is our hope. That is our ground of being. It is, it is the love that draws us forward. It is the home that welcomes us when these bodies, these tents are destroyed. That's all there really is. And so when we choose our lives as friends of disciples that we may be, perhaps we need to wonder how might we, in our friendship of disciples, how might we choose to take just another step more, closer to what the Spirit might be calling us to do, which is exactly what Stephen and his group are thinking about with building lasting bridges. How can we be a part of the solution of a very challenging problem in our community? How can we be on board with what we already know God is interested in doing? Because God is interested in doing that. And that is, in its own weird way, a different kind of pep talk. And so, uh, my question for you is, as we're here today on this commencement day, now that you're ready to launch, you now have realistic expectations of what this whole thing is really about. What say you? What are your hopes now? Why are you really in this thing? Is it simply because we have delicious donuts and good coffee? <laughs> That's pretty good reason. But it, is it more? Could it be that there is a greater, deeper purpose to life itself and your life that can be found in listening to the Spirit of God and following that? That may at times cost you, but will never release you that may mean that you share and you take risks and you put yourself on the line for the greater good, but somehow at the other end of it, even after great cost, you do it all over again because something shifted because you did. You saw a shift in what you did in that action, and more importantly, maybe more, I don't know if it's more importantly, but I know profoundly, at least in my experience, Something happens in you. Uh, Dante's vision of the dark wood of error and then um, basically his picture of hell and then purgatory. Purgatory is this, is this mountain that leads to uh, ecstasy, um, leads to heaven, leads to this incredible space. And he talks about the first part of the climb of Mount Purgatory is very difficult, but then it gets easier and easier and easier. And I want to tell you that that getting used to these steps of Jesus is just like that. At first, it seems like, oh, my gosh, you, you mean I have to think of somebody else, not just me? <laughs> In our culture, that's a pretty big ask for some. You mean I have to share my resources? You mean I have to share my voice? 
and it feels big and overwhelming. And it is because it's new. And yet over time, it becomes easier and easier and easier. The first uh, times that I spoke about inclusion along any variety of means, be it gender equality, uh, racial equity and equality, LGBTQ, the first times I spoke about such things, or, or even hot things like what I just told you today about how Matthew is crafted, I don't know that I could have just led with that when I was pastor here in my first year. Uh, because I don't know that it would have landed well because of where the church was. So when I started to talk about the reality of how things came to be in the Bible, the first times you speak of those things are hard. And there is a price to pay. There are people who will not be happy uh, with your decision. Sometimes they're the ones who need it the most. But then over time, even as the challenge gets higher, and doing the courageous next move, it doesn't feel harder because you've gotten used to the rhythm of the Spirit of God in the pursuit of justice and equity and shalom for all. What is your next step? Maybe your next step is just say, huh, okay. So this isn't prosperity gospel that Pastor Pete is talking about. This isn't if you follow Jesus, your wildest dreams are going to come true and you're going to die incredibly wealthy. That's not what he's saying. And maybe there's something more and even better. And so maybe today is your opportunity to just say, ah, I'm more of an acquaintance of a disciple. So I'm just going to, you know, come to the cocktail hour. <laughs> I'm going to try on this Jesus thing a little bit and just see how it feels. And that's fine. You've got to start somewhere. Maybe some of you, you've been acquaintances for a long time and you're ready to be a full-on friend of a disciple. Take a risk here and there and see how it all works out. Try it on for size. That's great. Maybe some of you have been friends uh, for, of a disciple for a long time and you're like, man, I, you know, I know there's, there's another level here that I want, to, I want to hit. And not that it's level and not competition and all that, but you know what I mean, depth of relationship and maturity. And maybe you're ready for that now. I don't know. But I do know that the Spirit of God always calls us forward, always calls us into shalom, always calls us toward shalom, deep peace, well-being for everybody and everything, and that our means to get there is the very shalom that we're a part of. How is shalom calling you? Let's uh, pray together, have some time of silence, and then we'll end with an adaptation of the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. So God, as we are still in this space, quiet again, hopefully still somewhat centered, believing that you are the presence of love in all of its potency, believing that you are a God who calls indiscriminately, that if we're here, We've already recognized that we're loved and that we are invited to move forward in maturity for our own well-being and deepening sense of salvation, but also really for the salvation, the well-being, the shalom of the whole world. And I'm wondering, God, as you're sending us out from this space, as we're bringing this moment to a close, what is your ask of us? How are you inviting us forward? And maybe it's just to rest in your presence, 
trust and your goodness a little more than we have and to see where that leads. I think you'd be pleased with that. God, may your love abound in us. Help us let go of the myth that you're somewhere up there, out there, and instead embrace the truth that you're already in us, already with us, that as we breathe, we're breathing you, your spirit. We cannot escape your love, your grace. It's already there for ourselves, for everyone. You are here to make us well and whole and to help us experience a deeper, richer life the rest of our lives and to do everything we can out of love and joy for everybody else. May we sense your spirit. It's power, it's truth, it's love calling us forward and may we trust. To that end, would you say the prayer uh, with me? Adaptation of the Lord's Prayer. Our loving, supportive, holy Abba. Your presence is here and everywhere. May your divine commonwealth come. May your will be done through us. We are grateful for the gift of food and work for all to eat their fill. May we work for a world where mutual grace and respect abound. May we foster shalom everywhere. Strengthen us for the work we're called to. Amen. May it be so. Thank you so much for being here today. Hope you had a good experience. We hopefully will be outside next week with a picnic to follow. Thanks for coming.